Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and please join me in welcoming our television and webcast viewers to today's luncheon. My name is Jennifer Sloan. I'm president of the Canadian Club of Toronto, and we thank our viewing audience for being with us today. The Canadian Club has a long history as the leading current affairs podium in Canada. Led by a volunteer board of directors, we are dedicated to encouraging open and accessible debate on issues that matter to Toronto, to our province, and to Canada. Through our youth and young leaders programs, civic action diversity partnerships, accessibility commitments, as well as through our media partnerships and social media properties, we provide opportunities for Canadians around the world to engage with leading political, business, and public figures. Thank you for joining our conversation. Before I formally introduce our speaker, I'd like to tell you about some of our upcoming events this season. On January 6th, the Canadian Club, in partnership with the National Post, will be hosting our 38th annual Financial Outlook with an expert panel reflecting on the economy, the markets, and political issues that will affect Canadians in the year ahead. This year's panel will be moderated by our own Bruce Celery and will feature Conrad Black, Terence Corcoran, Andrew Coyne, Diane Francis, and Warren Justin. On February 3rd, join Chairman of Franco Nevada, Pierre Lasson, and panelists Catherine Farrow from TMAC Resources, Bruce Simpson of McKinsey, and Randall Oliphant of New Gold for an in-depth discussion on the importance of mining to the Canadian economy. And on February 12th, we are proud to welcome to our podium Monique LaRue, Chair of the Board, President and CEO of Desjardins Group, to discuss the merits of the cooperative model in building sustainable prosperity in Canada. For a full listing of our upcoming events and to order tickets, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. You can also join the conversation via Twitter and Instagram by following us at CDNCLUBTO or by using that hashtag. I'd like to welcome a group of young lead leaders from Civit Action's Emerging Leaders Network sponsored today by CIBC. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Young leaders, where are you? Stand. Where's the table? Back. Stand. Mr. Dodig wants to see you. I'd also like to express special thanks to today's event sponsors, Societe Generale, Blake Castles Graydon, LLP, and reception sponsor, TMX. Thank you for your generous support and for making this event possible. Ladies and gentlemen, on your behalf, I'm pleased to introduce today's speaker. He is what you might call European banking royalty. He's on his first Canadian trip as Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of Societe Generale to celebrate the bank's 40th anniversary in this country. Called one of the sexiest CEOs alive, 
by the news website Business Insider, this Parisian banker executive comes from a family of doctors. But what he likes, though, is to cure financial ailments. Monsieur Frédéric Odea took the reins of one of Europe's leading banks at a difficult and tumultuous time in banking history. It was May 2009, the year after the international financial markets imploded. Monsieur Odea has been able to breathe new life into the 150-year-old bank. Best known for its expertise in equity derivatives, natural resource financing, commodity trading, and project financing, Paris-based Societe Generale operates in 75 countries and has over 32 million clients. Mr. Odea began his financial career working in the French civil service. In 1995, he joined Societe Generale. He headed a number of the bank's operations, including corporate banking and the equities division. In May 2002, he was named Deputy Chief Financial Officer of Societe Generale Group. He became the Chief Financial Officer of the group eight months later. The CEO and Chairman has been actively involved in European financial regulatory affairs. He has served as Chairman of the Steering Committee on Regulatory Capital at the Institute of International Finance. His leadership in business and financial sector was recently recognized by the European Banking Federation, which elected him as its president for a two-year term beginning January 1st. The Federation is the voice of the European banking sector. It represents national banking associations from 32 countries. That's 4,500 banks. After his remarks, Mr. Odea will be joined in conversation with Victor Dodig, President and Chief Executive Officer of the CIBC Group of Companies. Mr. Dodig has had, held several executive roles with CIBC since 2005 and was recently appointed to his current role as CEO this past September. We are pleased to have both of them with us today. On va commencer avec Mr. Odea. The Canadian Club of Toronto's podium, Canada's podium of record, is now yours. Good afternoon uh, to uh, all of you, and thank you so much, uh, Jennifer, for your warm uh, words, and uh, of course for hosting with uh, the Canadian Club of Toronto this uh, this wonderful event. And thank you so much for being so. Uh, Numerous uh, today, uh, both uh, clients, uh, friends, guests uh, in, uh, in uh, Toronto. Let me just say, effectively, it's a real pleasure for me to be here, as you've mentioned, for our 40th uh, year of presence in uh, Canada. It's also the year of our 150th anniversary. The bank was created in 1864 in France by entrepreneurs. And I must say that the culture has remained very much on uh, supporting the economy and the business people in developing their activities. And uh, let me also say as a French person that uh, Canada is seen really as a, as a reference and an example as a country uh, 
You know, we have, and I will come back to that quickly, we have to deal with uh, structural issues in France to make our public services more efficient. And Canada is always mentioned as an example of a country which has been able to deal, deal with that efficiently. And also, I must say, uh, with your capacity to integrate immigration in a, in a very uh, efficient way, I think. Uh, so you really uh, is seen uh, as an example and a, a very, very friendly and partner for us. Now, uh, I will have the pleasure to, uh, to uh, uh, exchange ideas uh, and, and with Victor, uh, my dear colleague, uh, and, and there is so much to say on the financial sector, the environment. I, I will try to be short and just brush as much as, as I can the way I think, uh, talking first about, perhaps about the environment, uh, talking also about the financial sector and, and a little bit about, of course, our bank. And what I would like to say, I will take, of course, my European hat. When I say this, I just would like to, to mention to you that I've always felt the perception is sometimes a little bit distorted by the compared with the reality. And, you know, as you said, I've taken the responsibility of heading Societe Generale in tough times. And I, re I remember certain moments, particularly. And in particular, during the crisis of 2011, where people were uh, lacking of confidence in the Eurozone. You know, in, in Italy would be bankrupt, the banking sector would go down, blah, blah, blah. I had to come to the US. And I met 150 uh, very, very nervous investors who were asking whether the French people were queuing to take out their money from, from the French banks. And because they had this experience in their own country, and so to a certain extent, they were extrapolating this situation to France. And, and the first thing I had to, sell, to tell them, listen, you can come with me in Paris. I can guarantee no one is taking the money out of French banks. And so what I'm just saying is that without underestimating the challenges, and I will come back to that, I just would like to give you uh, my view, my perception on the ground of what we have also achieved in Europe. Quick word on the environment. We need to be very, very humble. When you just look back at 2014, the two major events had not been predicted by anyone. Or listen, if one of you had, please, you, need the, you, have the, you should get the Nobel Prize. Because the Ukrainian crisis, to be frank, no one had seen it coming. Secondly, the oil price. And I know it's an important topic here. I can tell you, yes, people had in mind that. I was visiting the Gulf countries end of September, we discussed this. But I met no one with an idea that the price could go down to 58, 50, who knows, and for how long. What I'm just saying is that when I look at the future, it's very difficult to predict, by essence, always, but even more maybe today, and so we need to remain very humble. So it's, I try to think more in terms of scenarios. And clearly, uh, it's an environment which I don't like so much because I think actually there are still many instability and many unbalances which can create nervousness from one, one because one event or another can trigger something. And of course, I would say my central scenario is of probably overall a, a low interest rate environment, a relatively sluggish growth in the Eurozone, Low interest rate environment, which is not good for banks, neither for investors, which put pressure for investors to search for yield and sometimes with prices which are distorted by too accommodative monetary policy. So 
It might seem to be a good environment, but I don't like it, I must say. And so I think it's for us as a bank, uh, it's important to manage properly our risk and to remain disciplined because this situation might not last forever. Regarding the Eurozone, let me just say, uh, as I've said, it will take time to deal with the structural issues of the Eurozone. And of course, the governance of either it's uh, the Eurozone countries or the full European countries is complex. The decision process is complex. There's not just one government. There's not just one central, there is one central bank, but let's say, of course, there is discussions which are not the same as in the Fed. But uh, you should not, I think, have two negative assumptions because we are not even convinced that there is a real risk today of deflation. And secondly, there will be also positive drivers behind growth. Just the decrease of the oil price will be beneficial for Europe as a co consuming uh, countries. The low interest rates, the, the decrease of the euro, which help. Huh? The, you know the euro versus the dollar was at 140. Now it's closer to 120. And we have in mind that it might further weaken. So there will be also support to the economy. So let me say we have a 1% growth assumption for Germany next year, 0.7 for France. So it's a progressive, moderate recovery. But clearly what is at stake is, of course, how we, can we do better? Because 1% growth will not be enough to re reduce quickly unemployment. And I, I can answer any question you might have later on. It's fair to say we still have more to do at a country level, in France, for example, at the European level also. And the lesson of the crisis is that I think if you share a currency, an interest rate policy, we need to have more convergence between our economies in terms of competitiveness. And if there are still some gaps, and there will be some gaps, all countries will not be like Germany, we need to establish, I think, financial solidarity, mechanisms which can go through budget or maybe one day with a common sovereign debt. But it's fair to say, again, for that to be politically more acceptable, I think, and I think it's legitimate, all countries have to, to do their own, own job, their homework. So that, again, politically, it's acceptable everywhere. So again, it will take time. But I would like you also to take into account what has happened positively. And in particular, in the banking sector, I would like to highlight the European Banking Union. It was a challenge, you know? Because first of all, to make a decision to leave the key, the responsibility of supervising banks, to people in Frankfurt, very far from your home territory, is, a, is an abandon of sovereignty, which is not for many countries, which would be unthinkable. And on top of that, it was an operational challenge. You know, create uh, something from scratch. It's a startup. They recruited 1,000 people in uh, just a few months. And I can tell you, it's a good team. It's an experienced team. And it's a team which is sharing a very, very strong energy, energy and, and motivation towards building something uh, which is a, has an historical dimension. And it is something which has worked. Uh, I can answer also a question, but I can tell you the AQR was done very seriously. As a first step, we sent to the central bank, one, we were one of the 130 banks to be examined, we sent 500 million of elementary data our, on our credit and market uh, mechanisms and models. So I can say we had 800 people working just on that. The central bank itself employed 6,000 auditors that were sent in the banks to review all the credits. So it was not done just in two hours on a paper. 
And then, uh, now, we are regulated uh, by, again, effectively, uh, in practice, in, in Société Générale, Spanish and German people. It's, uh, the, the team in charge is totally different. So, I mean, you, you have had a success there, and it will remain going forward, more harmonization, uh, and I think a European voice regarding uh, international regulation. I will stop there. Uh, I will say just one word on Russia, but we might discuss. Uh, I will come back to that. Just keep in mind that Russia is part of Europe. It takes three hours to fly from Paris to Moscow, less than two hours from Berlin to Moscow. And uh, I think uh, from a political point of view and from an economic point of view, really both Europe, Ukraine, Russia have a common interest to find a solution, but again, we can come back to that. That's for the environment, but we will elaborate, I'm sure, a bit further uh, later on. The financial sector. As Jennifer said, uh, I have uh, the pleasure, and I'm sure Victor too, to spend not only time with clients, unfortunately, but also on regulatory issues. And it's fair to say uh, the rules of the games are changing dramatically. And... Uh, I think now we, we, I think bankers understand that. And certainly I can tell you as a banker, I take for granted that the world, the business, the product, the services are and will be even further different in three or five years' time than it, it was uh, before the financial crisis. I hope that we are now having more and more clarity on, on matters like uh, capital, liquidity, as you know, there had been... A, recent decisions to complement the whole thing. But we have also, uh, beyond just these uh, financial parameters, very strict regulations on the protection of investors, on the know your clients uh, issues, anti-money laundering. It's a, it's a big burden, and I'm sure that some of you uh, share the, the, the difficulty to implement in practice on a daily basis. But I would say that beyond this, and it might be the same for Canada, perhaps a bit less, but for Europe, it's an additional challenge because in practice, it means a different way of financing the economy. You know that uh, we, uh, had, uh, we used to have a system where banks were providing the bulk of the financing of the economy. And that was a, it's a big difference with the US where it's mainly capital markets which finance the economy. In Europe, 70% of the Financial support provided by the financial system comes from banks' balance sheet. And to a certain extent, the result, the outcome of the crisis is to say, and regulators take that for granted, you need in Europe to have a more Anglo-Saxon way of financing the economy, more capital markets. And it's clear that uh, it's, a, it's a transition which is not so easy because, of course, not only you need to have the credit origination, but you have also to need to have the investors. People save a lot of money in Europe, but you don't have necessarily uh, the kind of steel of investors or products which fit, for example, with infrastructure finance. Things which we will not be able to keep in our balance sheet and that we will have to finance more with bonds. We don't have pension plans, uh, pension funds, you know, the, the pension system is not necessarily based on large uh, equity markets. So, you will see further transformation in Europe. It's an additional challenge. May I see it's also, of course, for us, an additional opportunity as a leading bank, both in terms of financing and capital markets. And again, I hope 
And I think that uh, if I take my uh, future European Banking Federation um, uh, responsibility, one key issue will be precisely to assess the real impact on the economy, the life with these regulations. So far, some transformation has taken place, but there are still some others to take, to, 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 to happen. And again, to what extent credit and financing will be available to support growth? That is uh, at the heart and will be at the heart of the priorities of both regulators and, and governments and the European Commission. And I hope that with uh, more and more time flying, that precisely we'll be able to, practically speaking, illustrate the impacts and hopefully, at some point, if it's necessary, amend certain regulation which might have gone too far. Needless to say, we should not compromise with the security of the system. And, and the, 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 if there's one thing that a banker would like to avoid is asking public money, it's, it's pretty obvious. So we are all engaged and committed to have a, a sound financial system, but it needs also to work. I would like to close this chapter again. I could spend one hour, if you wish, on the different topics, uh, but it's sometimes a bit boring. Let me now finish with uh, Société Générale. As you said, Jennifer, it's a large international bank, 150,000 people uh, in 76 countries, and we are, I don't like actually this world because it's a bit, uh, it's not absolutely accurate. We, we are a universal bank, but universal, it might mean we want to be everything to everybody everywhere. It's not the case. And we had in the past already uh, made certain choices. But I must say that as a CEO of the bank, and what I, I think I have to do, my main role, is on one hand, look at the long term. And may I say if there's one lesson of the crisis, that we as bankers should also look at the long term, really be focused as a service industry to our clients, and try to really imagine the, the businesses the, the activities which are going to make sense for our clients and also which will be, again, accepted for the regulators. And the reshaping of the financial industry will still, again, have an impact. So I've tried in the recent years, in the refocusing of the balance sheet, to really select, and I will illustrate that a little bit more, the businesses which I think where we can make a difference, can provide added value, and should make sense for the economy. Secondly, uh, I must say, and the more and more that now we have dealt with, I would say, the financial issues, balance sheet parameters, when you think about the amount of transformation we have to manage, because I've spoken about the regulatory issues, I've spoken about the environment, which will remain uncertain. I've not yet, but I could elaborate also, I could speak about the technical, technology impacts of the digital, in particular on the retail. It's a sector which will further change, like other sectors, but I must say we combine a lot of reasons to change. And at the end of the day, what is very important is the, the culture, the commitment of the people. Because we have already gone through seven years, may I say, of crisis or changes. And what I'm pretty sure is we have ahead of us still maybe five at least, and who knows, maybe 10 years of additional change. And if you wish, the capacity to keep the teams committed in such a, a, a difficult, uncertain environment, challenging environment, is for me, will make the difference. And from that perspective, that's why also uh, we emphasize now so much on the elements regarding 
values, culture, team spirit, etc., which will make uh, our people feel proud to come and, and work as bankers. And I must say, after seven years of crisis, I'm very proud to be a banker because they, if you, as clients, you should uh, really share and feel that for us, being a long-term partner and helping you to win is a real proudness. And that's what I like. And you mentioned that I come from a, effectively, uh, my background is, uh, my father was a doctor. <coughs> and, and I will finish on this. When I uh, compare the, 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 the job of a banker, I feel a little bit like if I were a doctor. I mean by this, of course, it's more, your health is more important than anything else. But the, the clients have a, it's also very important, your, your wealth, your money, because it's your future. It's the future of your kids. And I would say there are not so many businesses or services where people come to you and very proudly tell you, I've been clients of Societe Generale for 40 years. You can just mention, a, I can comment on this, the ambassador yesterday, the French ambassador was there and he told me, you know, I've been client for Societe Generale for 40 years. That's great that people also are proud to come to you and say this. So of course the relationship is intense. And so if you disappoint, you disappoint a lot also, you know? It's not like when you buy a t-shirt or a shirt, it's not good, well, okay, you throw it away, it's not a big deal. When you are disappointed by your banker, it, 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 it means a lot. And it, it's also the same for corporates. So the beauty of our, of our job is to maintain in the long term this confidence, even in bad times, and it's more difficult in bad times. So let me just say at least, it's certainly the way we want to carry on doing banking, looking at the root of our bank 150 years ago and, and carrying these values in a different world, but in the same way with the same commitment and loyalty to you. My presence here is just uh, uh, the, the best illustration of our commitment to this market. And we built, we built here in, uh, in Canada great things. In particular, for example, the integration of New Edge, our broker, because I think capital markets will change. So we'll have less OTC products, more standardized products on clearing platforms. And for example, we invest in that, in new services. You've mentioned mining energy. I feel all, everything related to energy, infrastructure finance, is so important for the world growth. When you think about it, if China, if India, if Brazil, if Russia, if Indonesia wants to grow, they need better infrastructure. They need access to energy. And this growth will feed our own growth in developed countries because we'll be able to export. When you look at just China who wants to change its model by more consumption, I hope that French products will be sold to China and it will trigger, of course, more growth in France. And so if you wish, again, similar thing. It's a sector, it's a product, it's an activity where we are a world leader and I can't help thinking that it should develop forward because it will feed growth and we all need growth. I was already too long, but I've tried to brush, as you can see, uh, the picture. It's complex. It's not always fun to be a, a CEO of a bank, but at the end of the day, uh, I must say I'm a very proud CEO and chairman of Societe Generale. And again, I would like to thank you very much for being here and more importantly for your confidence. And I look forward to developing the business with you. But now we'll enter into even more detail. Thank you very much. Frederick, bienvenue à Toronto. That was a terrific speech. And you know, when someone described you and someone described me, I said, I want to know that guy. <laughs> How do you get to be uh, chosen the sexiest banker in France? Ah. We don't have that here. 
is the only question I will not answer. All right, fair enough. <laughs> because I don't know. <laughs> it's a thing, mistake. The only thing I know is when I come home tonight, I'm going to ask Maureen, do you think I'm a sexy guy? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Uh, that was a terrific speech. You. you covered so much, as you say. You brushed a, a lot of areas. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of things. Yeah. I thought what we'd start off with first is just talking about you taking on the presidency of the European Banking Federation. I can't imagine it's any less difficult than running any European organization as interests get more and more aligned. I don't know how long the term is. It's a, it's a two-year term, which can be... Uh, 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 you can have two mandates. So okay. uh, I, usually people actually stay for four years. What do you so if I go, do a good job, I could be there for four years. Excellent. What do you hope to achieve? Four, two years, four years <coughs> from now as the president of the Federation? Yeah, let me say, say I'm very happy to do this uh, on top of my job because, as you know, the, the head of the new European regulator is, is French, is Daniel Nui. And I must say, I, I know her, and I think I have a great opportunity, as I've said, and to a certain extent, hopefully with not too much political uh, interference, to explain what is happening on the ground. Mm -hmm. As you know, Europe, again, has a challenge, which is growth. And still, we have a certain... In, in Europe, a certain fragmentation in the capacity to finance the economy. In France, and a little bit less like in Canada, we did not suffer of a big banking crisis. They had no, no big bank which was nationalized. So we can provide financing. Credit is growing yeah, by 2.5% to the uh, corporates and close to 3 to the clients. But it's not the case in other parts of uh, Europe. And still there are things to be done to improve the, the banking system and of course, beyond this, to harmonize the implementation of the rules. And I think it's very important that we can give a feedback to the regulator. And the regulators, they had the tough job, let, let's admit it. You know, they were under pressure by, under the government request to deal with the security of the system. So they designed things, but sometimes they don't even maybe know always or they are not 100% sure of the impact. And so my view is to engage in a dialogue uh, with the support of all the banks in Europe, and I must say the European Banking Federation, what is good, it's, it works well. There, there is a, com and including with the UK, huh, the European Banking Federation is not the Eurozone, it's the broad Europe. I think there is a very good chance to engage in a solid dialogue to really ensure that things are working, and if not, to recommend certain changes. And I would like to have that. And may I say that, uh, as a French people, I prefer to do this now, in such a crucial period, because we are now in the banking union. It's a beginning, it's a crucial period. I think it's a pretty interesting uh, task, and I'm happy to do that. So stimulating the real economy yeah. and the role you play in that. So maybe you can describe what's, what's going on in terms of the bond markets and the cost of money and why money is not trickling down to the real economy. Explain for us. For example, why Italian 10-year sovereigns are yielding the same amount as a, the Canadians. Why, uh, we don't take offense to that, it's just the fact yeah, in the market today. Uh, why for the French 10-year, the German 10-year are you know, below 1% in the, in the German instance, well below 1%. Yet money's not getting to the real economy. Well, and, and you know, uh, it's a very good and on one hand a very complex question and, and to a certain extent a little bit like the oil price. When I think about the interest rate, which is again a key component uh, for us in terms of uh, revenue generation, uh, the, the, the outlook is uncertain. <clears throat> and as you've mentioned, the key question is if you imagine, for example, an increase of interest rates, 
in uh, the US uh, in the long term as well as in the short term? Can you imagine a, a, a total discrepancy in, in Europe? Will it stay like this? May I say, and, and from that perspective, I'm a bit orthodox uh, in terms of uh, monetary policy, so take that for, into account also. I, I'm maybe more European than US from this perspective. But it's true there is so much money in the system that, of course, there is a, a, a chase for assets and, and, and for a minimum yield. And I was, you know, just a, a few weeks ago in Japan. And just to think about Japan, because the central bank has started a very also aggressive accommodative monetary policy and is buying a lot of Japanese sovereign bond. So naturally, the, the big investors in Japan who collect a lot of money, they look for other assets with better yields. And I must say, uh, the bonds, the OAT, the, the sovereign French debt, are seen as, uh, it might appear a bit strange, but still uh, providing some yield. Uh, 0.7 for Japan is not that bad. <laughs> not that bad. And, and uh, I would say very liquid market, uh, and so seen as an attractive asset. And, and I would say, for me, it's really also not only what happens today, but the anticipation also of what could happen beginning of next year with the ECB. You know that uh, on the market, a lot of people expect that the ECB might also start to buy sovereign debt. So by anticipation, naturally, there is also a, a pressure downwards to, to the rates. The question for me is how long can it last? And uh, it's not, again, just about the next quarters. Will it last for three, five, ten years? And here, for me, it's a big question mark. And I would tend to think at some point there should be a kind of normalization. And it's not good. This situation is not good. It's not good for banks. It's not good for investors. It's not good for life insurance companies. And so I, I hope to see, I must say, at some point, a normalization of the monetary policies. It might take at least two to three years. But to see, at some point, uh, interest rate going up. And personally, I don't think you can have, in the long term, such a discrepancy between long-term European rates and uh, American rates, if I may say, both Canadian and US. So at some point, there should be... Well, some let's hope they go up to a normalized level, yeah. and that'll be a sign, hopefully, of a strengthening economy. Yes. Yeah. So we, we, we are France watchers here in Canada. We benefit from being beside the United States, yeah. but as we discussed at lunch, having a strong France, having yeah. more than yeah. one country in Europe being strong and vibrant is critical. And as we look at what's happened to France over the last number of years, it's gone through some political volatility, some economic volatility. What is the commitment to capitalism and growth in France today from the business community and from the government? France, if you wish, is, uh, I think, uh, a complex com country, Let, let's be clear. And it's fair to say that the relationship with capitalism, uh, business, is more complex than in other countries. And at the same time, uh, in practice, when you look at a lot of elements, we have very strong leading companies, worldwide leading companies. We have also, I must say, strong uh, SMEs, uh, including in the new digital uh, technologies. Uh, France has kept uh, uh, an educational system, in particular for its elite, and in particular on the engineer back, um, uh, in terms of engineer skills, which is pretty good. When you just look uh, at the Silicon Valley, you find many French people, including at uh, the top level of certain uh, big firms in the digital uh, world. 
So France has been able, so far, has had, I would say, the luxury, because it's a wealthy country, because it's a country where people, at the end of the day, uh, were pretty hard in businesses to support very heavy taxes, very heavy uh, redistribution mechanisms. I think it, it, we are very close to the end of that. And all in all, in Europe, when you look at it, what happened is that we maintained a, a growth trend in, the, in Europe with too much debt and not enough competitiveness. When I say this, it's either private debt in countries like Spain recently or Ireland, or public debt, like in France, with uh, redistribution systems. And today, it's too much in an open world with competition. So let me say that, practically speaking, the government, which had has not a great start and which was elected precisely on probably uh, certain uh, themes which were not that business friendly, has totally changed of uh, posture. But that's why also it's difficult for, for this government because to a certain extent changing of posture so much without so, much, so many results means that they don't have such a support from the Socialist Party. So we are in this uh, weak situation where there is a feeling that there is a weak leadership. It's not just in France, huh? in many democracies actually. Huh? It's a complex, we are in a complex world, you know, with internet, with the need to react immediately. I mean, uh, there are many things to be, which we could say on democracies. And even here in the US, it's not so easy for the governments, uh, in the leaders, the political leaders. So what I think is that today, the, 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 certainly the, the, the posture is business friendly. Now it's a question to act. Personally, I think you will see, and you are seeing some reforms, but I would say the bulk of the reforms, the most important, will be probably done in 2017. Because the legitimacy of this government to implement these reforms, when I talk about this, is around 45 hours a week, it's about further pension reforms, cutting more aggressively the public spendings. Uh, it will be more, so it means again being patient, but France will have to act. I mean, it's pretty clear and it will be part, I think, of the common European agenda. So it will take time, but I would say at least what is good is to see a socialist party now, in particular, helping corporates to improve margins. Because that's what is important for the business world in France. The margins of corporates has been under pressure because of the environment and, and the increase of taxes. If you want the corporate in, in, uh, business world to be more confident to invest, it needs to have better margins. And that's why we have the government has decided measures. And at least now it goes in the right direction. Probably not uh, quickly enough, probably not strongly enough, but at least in the right direction. That sounds good. Sounds like the economy is going to grow. It sounds like uh, this zero country. 0.7. Huh? 0.7. <laughs> but again, compared with Japan. For sure. Well, look, you know, one of the things, Frederick, we, t we look at here is the European Free Trade Agreement yeah. with Canada. We're a country of 35 million people. We're looking at a large market that we can trade with. How should we be thinking about it as Canadian business people in terms of penetrating the US, the, uh, the European market? What kind of advice would you have in that regard? Well, may I say, and I won't, don't want to disclose uh, public, uh, private uh, comments, but it happened. I was yesterday having a dinner with one uh, large uh, CEO of a company, a Canadian company, which has uh, invested quite a lot in, uh, in Europe, and in France in particular, in the IT services, and who seem to be pretty happy with its uh, investments. 
I, I think that, uh, again, Europe is, is pretty open. And as you know, uh, the French president actually was visiting Canada just a few weeks ago to, to precisely promote, encourage people to, uh, to invest. On our side, what we say to the, uh, the government, uh, they need to understand that, that confidence is built in the long term and that you can lose confidence very quickly if you don't comply with what you committed to comply. So I mean the stability on the taxes, the stability of the contracts, all that is part of that. It's a question of uh, long term. It's a little bit like banking. You know, it, the confidence is there. Is uh, we maintain a long term and confident relationship. But I think you should you should look at Europe again. It you should not expect miracle from Europe. So if you look at business plan, do not predict. Uh, necessarily such strong growth. It depends on your sectors. But I would say at least in this world where there is so much turmoil, it's at least an area of stability, overall legal uh, stability. And I think you have also wealth in Europe. You have behaviors of people who are pretty prudent in terms of leveraging, for example. And I'm more confident with a country, countries like this that with, with very high leverage for private individuals or whether corporate. So you should think about the pole of stability potentially, which can help you to counterbalance with more maybe dynamic franchises, but also with more risky franchises, more politically exposed franchises. And I think that, uh, as I've said, uh, in, you need probably also, of course, to take into account the European culture. Uh, when I travel, and I travel quite a lot, I think that what I always say to to people who doubt about Europe, is that I think there is much more that we share in common between European countries than what divides us, and that there, is, there are many, much more differences between, again, European countries and China and, and India and, and the US. So, I mean, in Europe, you will find also, to a certain extent, even if there are differences, certain way of dealing with employees, and there will be further, I think, convergence in the social, uh, social system. So I would encourage you, it depends after that on the quality of the business. Uh, today we are in a world where the best people make the difference. And so you can find great companies will make the difference, as well as businesses which might struggle. But don't, and again, as I've said, I come back to my point on perception. I mean, look at the, look at the reality, dig in the reality, uh, ask your, your colleagues in Canada who had the experience uh, and, and, and try to, to look if you have effectively something to do and you will be welcome. Frederick, excellent. I have a hundred things to ask you, but we don't have time. Uh, I think what you've done for us is you've um, built confidence around Europe, built confidence around what the banking system can do, and certainly built confidence in what you can do as a leader in that part of the world and building the bridge to Canada because we want to do business with you as well. So I want to thank you personally. I know that we're going to have some concluding remarks here, and I know you need to be on your way, so thank you for being here. Again, thank you very much, Victor. Thank you. The quality of the people also comes from Europe. <laughs> Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Fred Mifflin, and I am a director of the Canadian Club. Gentlemen, thank you very much for engaging us in a wide-ranging discussion on the challenges and opportunities facing the global banking industry. 
Frédéric, merci de nous avoir fait part de vos connaissances sur les reprises économiques en Europe et les opportunités qui seront créées grâce aux évolutions dans le secteur bancaire. With global economies that are increasingly interdependent, it's reassuring to know that both Société Générale as well as Europe's banking sector are benefiting from your leadership. We also want to wish you well as you assume the presidency of the European Banking Federation in January. Victor, thank you for your insightful questions today. It's good to know that Canadian banks and businesses overall have the ability to benefit from the largest free trade agreement entered into with the European Union. Having recently assumed the mantle at CIBC, we also want to wish you every success in your new position. Merci. Thank you for joining us at the Canadian Club today. I too would like to echo Fred's message and thank Mr. Odea and Victor for the very informative presentation and for the insightful discussion that followed. Thank you very much. And I once again would like to express special thanks to our event sponsors, Societe Generale, Blake Castles Graydon LLP, and reception sponsor TMX. Your generous support has made today's event possible. Thank you so much. And before I adjourn today's meeting, I'd like to draw your attention to the event survey card on each of your tables. We're always looking for ways to improve your experience, so if you would take a moment to help us by sharing your thoughts and comments, we would really appreciate the feedback. This concludes our program for today, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We'd like to thank MediaEvents.ca, Canada's online event company, for live webcasting this event. You can also visit the Canadian Club website to download webcasts and podcasts of other club events. We look forward to seeing you early in 2015. Happy holidays. This concludes today's event. Thank you. <laughs>